0: We're going to discuss tumor suppressor genes and their associated tumor suppressor proteins in this module. Uh, Tumor suppressor genes are genes whose products either promote apoptosis, so controlled cell death, uh, or they halt regulation of the cell cycle, you know, they stop... um, um, cell division, because cancer is uncontrolled cell division, so they want to stop that division, uh, or a pro- or a mixture of both. They do both. They promote apoptosis and halt regulation of the cell cycle. These proteins are essentially stop signs, or you can think of them as safety checks to stop mistakes in division that may lead to cancer. Because you know cells in the body, you know they're under the control of the body. The body has control over them, and when you know the body loses that control and they start doing their own thing, um, you know that's when cancer happens, and that's what when. when it becomes dangerous. So these proteins are kind of like your body's fail-safe system that when they sense that a cell is starting to, you know, you know, the body's starting to lose control over this cell, it'll go to that cell and it'll, you know, promote apoptosis or uh, halt regulation as we've discussed to stop, uh, you know, the possibility of uncontrolled division and the possibility of cancer. Uh, So there are two categories of tumor suppressors that have to do with these two uh, functions that I just mentioned. Number one is DNA repair proteins that recognize and repair DNA, and if they are unable to repair the DNA, they apopticize the cell, okay? And this kind of has to do with what I talked about with um, DNA damage a long time ago. Um, We discussed that, you know, when a DNA is damaged beyond repair, that's when it starts to lose control and cancer uh, is... uh, you know, cancer occurs next. So the DNA repair proteins are a type of tumor suppressors that try to fix the DNA if they can or they apopticize it if they cannot. Uh, Number two is cell cycle repressors, which are gene repressors that are essential for continuation of division. Okay, so they they halt division. They're able to halt that division. Moving over, we'll talk about the Nudsen hypothesis, also known as the two-hit hypothesis. Uh, And this has to do with alleles. And if you remember, alleles contain two... uh, Um, we can, our bodies contain one allele from each patient, which codes for the same gene. Remember that alleles themselves contain two copies for any gene. Therefore, there are two alleles for any specific gene. And, And, you know, if you're getting kind of confused, just remember, you know, the gene will be like eye color, and then the alleles will be, you know, brown or blue. Okay, so the specific form that the gene takes, right? What specific color? Brown or blue. Uh, that's the alleles. So we get one allele from each patient for the same gene. So you get maybe the, you know, the blue eye color from your mother, but you get the brown eye color from your dad, um, from your father, and maybe that's dominant, and so you end up with brown eyes, something like that. So the two-hit or the two-hit hypothesis, or the Nudsen hypothesis, states that mutations must occur, uh, or a mutation must occur on both alleles of a tumor suppressor gene for manifestation of that effect or phenotypic change to occur. And this is really sounds a lot more complicated than than it is. You're probably already familiar with it. It's the idea that alleles are backups to prevent manifestation. So even if there's a mutation on one of your uh, on one of your alleles, you still have the other allele as a backup so that you know you don't just die of cancer immediately. Um, it's kind of the same idea with having two kidneys, even though you technically, functionally speaking, your body only needs one, uh, but just two. For efficiency and to save you if one kidney becomes faulty, you have that second one as a backup. So this is the, the primary idea of the two-hit nudson hypothesis. Um, also recall that in mutated oncogenes, one is typically dominant, therefore only one mutated allele yields a phenotypic change, the dominant one. So this this is kind of you know an extension of the two-hit hypothesis, um, where if you have a dominant uh, allele, and that, that um, mutation occurs on that allele, then you will have that phenotypic change. You will experience that mutation provided it's the dominant one. So this is describing heterozygous uh, genotype pairs where the dominant one, if that has a the mutation, then you have the mutation. Uh, if you have homozygous uh, dominant or homozygous recessive, then this two-hit hypothesis um, applies. Um, uh, tumor suppressor genes, however, are homo- homozygous recessive genes, therefore two mutations must occur for the mutation to be manifested, the, the cancerous phenotype being the mutation. This is exactly what I just mentioned. Um, one example of this is PRB, which is retinoblastoma protein, and this represses cell from moving from the G1 to the S phase, the growth to the S phase, by inhibiting transcription factors, which push the cell to the S phase or via an HDAC protein. And if you remember HDAC, uh, it condenses the chromatin, which uh, suppresses the synthesis. Um, So what we see in this uh, PRB, retinoblastoma protein, that it's all about repressing that cell and halting that um, cell cycle again from moving from G1 to S phase. And what did I say at the beginning of this module that, you know, we have one of three situations in tumor suppressor proteins, they either promote apoptosis, if they can't repair the cell's DNA, they, um, they uh, inhibit or pause or uh, halt the cell cycle, the cell division cycle. Uh, And number three, they um, do a mixture of both. So they do both of those things. So um, example two of tumor suppressor proteins, uh, PRB was example one, example two, the p53 protein does both of these things. Okay, so p53, Activates DNA repair proteins in the event of DNA damage, but it can also arrest growth by halting the cell cycle at the G1 to S point. So it it actually halts the cell cycle at the same point of uh, as PRB did, retinoblastoma protein, that G1 to S point. Uh, and it and the reason it does this, because you know you you know you might think like, okay, it just stops the cell completely, but you know. Does the cell ever start again? And I'm going to tell you that it does. This is, this halting of the cell cycle is temporary. That G1 to S phase is just paused. And we use that term pause because really all we're trying to do is give the DNA repair proteins time to repair the DNA. And then once the DNA is repaired, then we, we don't halt the cell cycle and we let the cell continue to grow to the S to the S phase. So, uh, and and more specifically on halting the cell cycle, the P53 protein binds DNA and activates several genes such as the P21 protein. And this P21 protein binds cyclin CDK, which is cyclin-dependent kinase complex. I know, I'm already starting to lose you. There's so many different acronyms. This is, that was the end of all the complex stuff. Basically, you might say, why is cyclin CDK relevant? Cyclin CDK is the exact complex complex that facilitates the cell's transition from G1 to S, okay? So, um, so P53 activates the P21 protein, which um, facilitates that transition from the G1 to the S phase. So l- I kind of, I'm, I want to repeat myself because I know this P53 stuff was confusing, but we're done now. So I'm going to, you know, cleaned up. P53 an overview, it basically activates DNA repair proteins, okay, because we want to fix that DNA. We don't want to just, you know, you know, you know, kill the cell immediately. That's pretty valuable material. We don't want to just randomly kill all our cells when they show a hint of mistake, right? We want to try fixing it first. So P53 activates DNA repair proteins to fix the DNA, and on top of it, it halts the cell cycle at the G1 to S checkpoint to make time for the DNA repair proteins to actually repair the DNA. Right. Um, And more specifically, the way it does what I just described is it activates the P21 protein. This P21 protein binds or activates cyclin CDK complex, which causes the G1 to S phase transition. P53 also binds DNA and activates repair proteins. So P53 activates uh, repair proteins to repair and it activates P21 to halt the cell cycle. P53 also does more, it initiates apoptosis if damage is irreparable. And this is exactly what I said at the beginning that you know, our body tries its best to fix DNA uh, and, and and revive those cells, or, or not revive, but fix those errors in those cells. But if it is unable to fix those cells, it must kill that cell. Because if it, if that cell is not killed off and that error is allowed to continue, it's dividing uncontrollably, you have cancer, and cancer is horrible. So P53 initiates apoptosis if, uh, if, if the damage is irreparable. The P53 gene product's mutations are exceptions to the two-hit hypothesis, which creates what is called the dominant negative, which is a mutated P53 protein, which is capable of preventing the normal alleles protein product from functioning. And again, I, I don't know if the p53 stuff is really confusing, but basically what I want you to know is the p53 protein kind of does everything, right? It activates repair proteins to fix DNA. It activates p21, which activates cyclin CDK complex to regulate the cell cycle right? And it also, p53 also promotes apoptosis if this damage is irreparable. So what I was talking about at the very end with the dominant negative, because I just listened to it and it was pretty confusing, uh, is that the p53 gene can be mutated. And when it is mutated, we create a dominant negative. And this dominant negative basically refers to the idea that the the p53 protein, which has been mutated, may prevent normal alleles from functioning. That's kind of it.